2: The Drive with Mark Ennis, presented by The Fitness Market on 939 The Ville. The Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at TheFitnessMarket.com. Now, here's Mark Ennis and Luke Hancock. Welcome back into the drive here on 939 The Ville. Mark Ennis, Luke Hancock, Luke. Uh, sometimes, we dealt with this a little bit yesterday, but I, I can get frustrated at times that uh, the feedback from folks makes it pretty clear they're having a conversation that I'm not a part of. <laughs> uh, and when we get after what we just finished doing, we had the call from Sandra, it was you know, very reasonable, and, and, and we're talking perhaps one minute removed from me saying, I think he's done a bad job. Those are the words that came out of my mouth. I think he's done a bad job. I think Kenny Bains done a bad job this year. We get this text, carrying this KP water is absurd. He's inept, and it's clear as day. I just said the guy did a bad job. His due is in the midst of doing a, pretty, a, a bad job this year. Where, What is, what is the standard for, for labeling something as water-carrying? I I
1: really don't know what else you're supposed to say. I mean, I guess you got to say horrible,
2: here. Mark. That's what it is, unfortunately.
1: I guess you got to start shooting below the belt and start trying to you know slight him with insults consistently to show that you're unhappy with the basketball performance. You know, because you can't just talk about that things aren't going very well for the University of Louisville basketball team. You can't have you know a call like Sandra's that says, you know what, you know I, I didn't like the comments about you know putting the blame majority-wise on the players. I would like to see a coach, the CEO of the program, take more onus in, in the fact that they're not getting through to these guys. You know, there are, there are, I would say, more rational ways to go about it, but, you know, it happens at times.
2: We're not having these conversations about Jeff Braum. Uh, obviously, he's a far more established uh, head coach, and I think the expectations for next year uh, are, are pretty high not unreasonably high. I think that they are, are high for good reason, uh, with, with his own established kind of track record with what they've been able to, to both bring back and add to the team. And then now yesterday, Luke, with the, with the release of Louisville's uh, football schedule and the ACC football schedule, kind of overall, uh, we already knew they weren't going to face FSU or Clemson, uh, this season. Luke, i I heard Marcus and Steve, you know, talking about the football schedule a little bit this morning and we were all feeling, I think, kind of the same way. It's hard to look at that schedule and not be not even cautiously optimistic, but to look at that schedule and, and think like this team could could win like nine, ten games. It's not a demanding schedule. And for the first time in a while. There aren't any games in there where you just look at them and think like automatically there'd be anything other than really lucky to win that game.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think there's so much unknown with a new coach coming in. But, you know, the hype, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. Like I'm, I'm excited about the recruits. I'm excited about the transfers. I'm excited about the buzz going on with the football team. And then when you start to line up the schedule – there are some things that jump out at me that make me think, yeah, this team can build momentum here. They, they don't have to be playing their best, best football right from the beginning. You know, they can grow a little bit. And then having the last, a big chunk of the last, I think it's four out of five, are at home down the stretch. What a huge advantage.
2: Yeah, to have, uh, I don't know how you could have constructed a schedule that, uh, a whole lot better for Louisville. Uh, In in terms of, in particular, winning the ACC and competing in the ACC, to not get Florida State, to not get Clemson, uh, to have four out of five games at home. Louisville only plays one, right? Uh, One real kind of road game in the first half of the season with NC State. That's that's just about it. Real road game? I mean – you're playing uh, georgia tech in a, in the in, in atlanta the dome There probably there there's a decent chance there'll be more louisville fans than georgia tech fans there uh for that game uh, you play indiana in indianapolis so no matter how many iu fans are there it won't, it, there'll be just as many louisville fans uh there for that you do play nc state at nc state early in the year so it won't be cold uh, i mean luke the, looking at the schedule there's a I think there's a reasonable chance that you're like four and one when you when you play Notre Dame, five and zero when you play Notre Dame. In which case, I think Notre Dame here with Jeff Brom, if Louisville's four and one or five and zero, and they're going to be really good, it'd be as big of a home game as we've ever had here. I just feel like the schedule sets up for them to to get off to a really really good start in year one for Jeff Brom.
1: You know, I, I need some help from texters or callers, but. I need to check Mark Ennis on one of the biggest home games ever here. You know, I I don't have the historical perspective to go way back. You know, my favorite game is just the drumming of Florida State. Sure. Uh, I believe 2014, 2015 maybe. 16. 16. 16. We're going to keep going. 16. You got there.
2: It was the Heisman
1: year. The Heisman year. There you go. Um, You know, I I don't know if I'm going to call it the biggest game, but – how great would that be if they're four and one and they get that kind of crazy environment uh, to play Notre Dame there? And I'm going to look up their schedule here uh, here in a second because it'd be awesome, like you said, if they were playing well and Louisville's. A, let's let's just say they're four and one. You're spot on, man. That environment could be absolutely incredible. And then you know, ultimately, again, having those four out of five at home down the stretch. I don't know how you guys feel about. If it's a Thursday game, a Friday game, a Saturday game, but it's kind of spread out with this this roster. You kind of get a little – regardless of what you like, you're going to have a piece of it. It's just hopefully you don't have too much of what you don't like.
2: Well, I, I feel like with Jeff, like Louisville's not only – I think they're going to win. I think they're going to be fun to watch. And I, I honestly, when it comes to what you know Louisville and its style of play and, and its appeal uh, to people and recruits – and Jeff and his history and the ACC sort of fighting for, for eyeballs and attention and credibility uh, against the Big Ten and the SEC. I'm I kind of look forward to like re-embracing those weeknight games. You know, would I love to get to the place where they're just totally out of uh, the, the environment that we're in in college football? I mean, I guess, but to me, like those weeknight games and the statements that you've made on a lot of those weeknight games are a big reason why Louisville's where they are at all and I I look forward to people around the country being like oh Louisville's playing tonight I'm gonna watch that because I don't have to give up my team's game on Saturday I'm gonna watch it on a Thursday or a Friday and Louisville making a good impression on people because it, it's a big piece of Louisville's football history I'm I like it I'm good with it
1: yeah I think you got really exciting matchups with this schedule um I, I do think you're spot on there like hey you know it's just the way it is that some of the major market teams you know Florida State's gonna have those primetime games every week right Louisville might not get that but take advantage when you can have these fun matchups have them in a lot of pro stadiums I think I heard something about this being almost the most games in a pro arena that we've ever had for a Louisville football team I gotta get somebody to fact check that Kelly Dickey probably has already been on it but you know, I think that's exciting, and especially for recruits and transfers and guys coming in, they, they want to play in that atmosphere. And you know, just just pinpointing that Notre Dame game that you talked about, you know, they play Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, Central Michigan, Ohio State, Duke, and then that Louisville game on October seventh on a Saturday. You know, they could certainly be a one loss team. They could certainly be undefeated, walking into that Louisville game. And, uh, I mean, I, I would fully expect for the crowd to just be unbelievable for that one. And to your point, they play nothing but Saturday games. Notre Dame does.
2: I would love, I love the the thought of of Sam Hartman just uh, shaking in his, uh, his cleats. Coming <laughs> well back played, to Cardinal yeah, the Stadium. transfer, yes. absolutely. His last uh, outing did not go well, to say the least. Let's get Isaac in here really quickly before uh, Roddy Jones joins us here. Isaac, <laughs> thanks for waiting, buddy. Welcome into the drive. What's up?
0: How are you guys doing today? Doing good. good. Thanks for the call. Uh, listen, uh, let's start with football first. I can't tell you how excited I am for this season. I feel like uh, we got a lot of momentum behind with the fan base. And uh, I just uh, I want to, you know, just shout out, you know, to the fans out there, man. If, if last year you didn't want to come out and see a game, uh, me and my buddies, we ended up going to three games. We went to uh, the Florida State, Wake Forest, and NC State game. And I'll tell you what, man, I had a, bla- a blast regardless of how the season went. Um, please, if you if you don't got money for a good ticket, the flight deck, we, we sit up on the flight deck and, hey, it's, there's not a bad seat up there. And, you know, you get a perfect view of it. And, you know, I'm just so excited because I know that one game I'm circling on the calendar is Notre Dame because I want, I want some revenge. The last time we played them with Scott's first game at Louisville and they got the better of us. I think we might be able to give them a run for their money. But uh, I wanted to ask you guys a quick question about basketball. Uh, You know, I know there's a lot of talk about whether Kenny might come back or not. But uh, if he does come back, in my opinion, he's going to have to do some reflections on himself as a coach. And to be honest, man, I think he's going to have to go up and down this roster. And uh, he's going to have to make some changes because I'm telling you guys, there's, there's a couple players on this team that, in my opinion, do not deserve to wear the jersey. Wearing this jersey should be a privilege. To be able to play for this city and for this program is an honor because it is a historical program. So I just wanted to see if you guys felt the same, and uh, go Cards.
2: Thank you, uh, Isaac. Yeah, Luke, I, th- I think the expectation is that if they finish and things don't progress really like at all, uh, it, you know, and it just sort of continues to look like it has looked, and they do decide to bring him back for for year two, it's impossible. Nothing. Has it's not. It's
1: that's a weird way to put it. It's not decide to bring him back. They would have to decide
2: to fire him, right? His contract's well, I'm saying, not. If if that's the decision, right? Like if they're like, hey, we're gonna move forward here. This wasn't. We're we're not gonna fire you. Yeah. Uh, then then you can't. They didn't build enough to say like keep doing what you're doing. So uh, yeah, I would think that every single thing there is would be, uh, th- that you can even conceive of doing, would at least be under consideration. B- gigantic changes in the, the roster, uh, I would I fully expect. I would imagine he'll have to you know, sort of have a, a real honest look at his coaching staff and maybe what he's come to realize he does or doesn't have versus what he thought he had or needed. Uh, and I would not be shocked if there are changes made uh, there as well. Uh, but I think the heavy emphasis is going to be on quite a bit of turnover on this roster, don't you? I can't imagine there'll be more than four or five guys that are on the team now that'll be back next year. Do you? Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I think that would
1: be pure insanity. If you think you, you've gone this entire season with these guys and now we're 21 games in, and this is what's going to take you from winning two games and they just need an off season, or they just need a, you know, a mental break or vacation or well, I don't even know what you would say there, Kenny Payne has got to, without question, show his ability to go out there and rebuild this roster. That Kansas State experiment was perfect. They had 14 guys, some of which were walk-ons, leave the program when Jerome Tang got to Kansas State. 14 guys left the program, and he brings in his new pieces from wherever, right? Like, that has to happen. And somebody just texted in and asked if Kenny Payne has to make staff changes. You know, I'm not in their shoes. I've never been an assistant coach. Um, I have my experience with Chris Caputo, who's the head coach at George Washington, with my time uh, at George Mason with Coach Laranega. um, Eric Conkle is at Louisiana Tech, Mike Huger at Bowling Green. Those guys, they didn't sit back and, you know, look like, They've done their work and they don't need to get up and scream and yell and try and fire guys up. We do have a coaching staff that is very, you know, I'll even say stoic from the assistant perspective. They they do seem to be kind of reserved over there. That's not, you know, that's not my experience with assistant coaches in games. And again, you don't hire those guys not to be themselves, but it is kind of different, I will say. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's staff changes in particular, but he is going to have to make, big-time drastic changes, there is no doubt about
2: that. All right, we just talked about uh, the optimism kind of on the flip side of things uh, with uh, the football team right now, uh, especially with the schedule and its release uh, yesterday. Uh, watched uh, a good chunk of the evening yesterday with the release of the schedule on the ACC network. Roddy Jones was, was a part of that discussion, and he joins us here on the drive on the uh, Roddy, give me uh, not necessarily Louisville-specific, uh, but just a uh, – broadly speaking maybe what seemed like to you like the biggest takeaway or two from the release of the ACC schedule for next year yeah well first and foremost
3: appreciate you guys having me on secondly yeah. uh there seems to be a theme amongst the former uh, coastal division teams that they are unhappy with the way things have shaken out where the former Atlantic division teams generally are happy um which is kind of what we thought overall <laughs> and we knew the matchups yeah. but I think the biggest takeaway was where the league decided to put Clemson, Florida State at the end of September, and they did that for a few reasons. In, in talking to them, one was the fact that I think they wanted some distance between uh, the the game, uh, the the regular season game, and a potential rematch in the championship. That's my inclination and my inference. They did not directly say that. But they did directly say that the schedule the rest of the year and the fact that that their broadcast partner, ESPN, does not have Big Ten football this year, did play into where you select to put that game. So you put it at the end of September where generally you don't have a lot of these big-time matchups, and you set yourself up to potentially have a matchup that's going to be prime time, potentially game day, really depending on whether or not Florida State wins week one, Uh, and gives the ACC a national spotlight. So that was really the biggest takeaway overall. Uh, There are some weird quirks. You know, I think the the short week that Duke and and, uh, Wake Forest both have before they play each other on a Thursday night is interesting. The fact that Syracuse does not have a game at home in the month of October is interesting. Some of the teams, like a Florida State, have really early open dates at the end of September and then are going to have eight straight weeks of football, kind of like TCU did last year. Um, but all of those are, are were sort of secondary, and a lot of those were just sort of factors that, that happened because of the way the schedule broke. The ACC's decision to put Clemson Florida State where they did seemed to be very intentional, and that was, uh, that was
0: pretty interesting.
1: Roddy, uh, thanks for joining us, man. I, I was wondering who kind of either got excited about their schedule or had big-time problems with their schedule that maybe you don't see quite what they're seeing. I know UNC has been one that's kind of been on my Mac timeline Brown, yeah. quite a bit with Mr. Mac Brown. And I did see, I don't think they leave the state of North Carolina but one time in the first six, seven games.
3: Yeah. And, and honestly, that, that plays into it. That plays into the decision making. I do see why Mac Brown is upset. Uh, and I see why people push back on it. Like the, some of the matchups early on, South Carolina, for instance, Minnesota, they're not going to grab the headlines that a Texas AM will grab or that Georgia will grab, who's on who's on Georgia Tech's schedule. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't want to play South Carolina with Spencer Rattler with the momentum that they ended the season on. And I certainly wouldn't want to play Minnesota, who's going to be one of the favorites of the Big Ten West going into next season. I saw that team in the bowl game. That is not a team that you want to play. I mean, even if you are more talented than them, they play a style of football that is not conducive to wanting to play them. They're going to bloody your nose. They're going to be physical, play great defense, challenge you. They're going to make you earn everything. So, so having those two games early on for Carolina kind of sets them up in a position where y- you're not out of the gate in an easy way. Then you have to go to Pitt, and Pitt's going to be really good, I think. And, again, it's basically the ACC version of a Big Ten West team w- where they're going to play great defense. They're going to sort of bloody you in the run game. And then at the end of the season, you get the two or the three, three of the teams with the best records from the prior year on your schedule, Duke, at Clemson, at NC State, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So the start to the year, which some of that UNC is scheduling South Carolina, Minnesota, App State in there as well. But let's remember App State was 6-6 six six last year. Uh, but the end of the season, and the, the ACC's decision to put at Pitt after those games, and then the end of the season, Duke at U, uh, or at Clemson, at NC State, even though they don't have to get on a plane, but twice, I believe, Pitt and Georgia Tech. Uh, it's still a schedule that I would not want. And on the opposite side, I think Louisville's schedule broke really well for them. Yeah. I think there's a couple others. The one that's really tough that I'll give you that people aren't really talking about because they don't think this team's going to be very good is Virginia. I mean, look at the start of Virginia's schedule. It is brutal. They play Tennessee to start the season, and then mm-hmm. they've got James Madison, a team that should have been in the Sun Belt Championship yeah. game a year ago, uh, and it doesn't get any easier for there. So so I feel bad for Tony Elliott. He's got a rough draw of it.
2: You mentioned the Big Ten West uh, and Louisville just happened to have hired the head coach from the Big Ten West champion uh, last year uh, to be their head coach. And you mentioned the schedule, Roddy. It really does look like it's primed both for them to get off to a pretty good start and is very favorable, both in terms of who they don't play and the end of the schedule when you might be in contention for for who knows what. Four out of five games uh, at home. You don't get Florida State. You're Clemson. Uh, it seems like Louisville is in a, should be pretty optimistic about what what's at least on the table based on the schedule, at least. Uh,
3: I think they certainly should be. And I I sort of joked about the Atlantic teams being happy about the schedule. I don't think anybody's oh, yeah. happier about it than, than Louisville because yeah. basically they got the coastal division uh, stands a couple <laughs> of teams and they missed the two teams from the Atlantic Clemson and Florida state that nobody wants to play. Now, it's not a cakewalk. When you go to this sort of format, you're going to get good teams. NC State's going to be a good team. Obviously, you play Notre Dame. That's a good team. But you're exactly right. Like, if you're going to get a team out of the Big Ten, Rutgers is on. I can't remember whose schedule Rutgers is on. But Indiana is on is on Louisville's schedule. Yeah. That's manageable. We can do that. You know, and Jeff Brom obviously, intimately familiar with them, uh, having coached against Indiana in his last game at Purdue. Uh, or, excuse me, 2nd last game at Purdue. Uh, so, so when you when you look at, at the way the schedule broke for Louisville and sort of a team that, if they figure it out, can maybe make some noise and make a run, and we'll look up at the end of the season and be like, oh, Louisville is in contention for this thing. I would not at all be surprised if it's the cards because the cupboard is not completely bare uh, and yeah. just prompts a heck of a coach. So, I got questions all over the place, but who doesn't? Uh, and a lot of those will have been solved by the transport portal. Some may still need to be solved. By the portal or, or by freshmen that are coming in, um, but the way the schedule has broken for Louisville, yeah, it sets up perfectly for Jeff Brom in year one.
1: Roddy, right, I was asking or thinking about this: Is there a day of the week in terms of like playing your game on Friday night, Saturday night, Thursday night? Does it matter from a player's perspective? I know you mentioned some of the marquee matchups; they're going to put them in those prime time. Uh, Slots where they get the most eyeballs and where there's not a ton of competition. But for a school like Louisville, I've already gotten a bunch of people hitting hitting us up on the text line saying, "Well, Thursday doesn't work for me because I got to work." I'm not necessarily saying that, but as from a player's perspective in that locker room, short week, long week, does it matter? Do you care?
3: So, so we played Thursday night games every single year that I was at Tech. That was when Thursday and it was before the NFL moved to Thursday night, so it was the biggest game in college football. Sorry, I've got a, a. one-year-old in the back who wants to contribute I know how you feel Uh, brother (laughs) yeah Luke um uh, it it was the biggest sign in college football so we always got great crowds for it. what I will say short week does make a difference I did not like the short weeks that we had but in terms of day of the week it really doesn't matter it all starts to feel like Saturday on the day of the only difference is that it's always a night game and you're always going through that process Well, you're waiting in the hotel. Now, it's a challenge for the fans, and I completely understand it, especially those Thursday night games having to get up and work the next day. Uh, But uh, if you want to support the team, it's something that the ACC is going to have to continue to do as you fight for relevance, as you fight for eyeballs. You're not going to win those matchups when the SEC and the Big Ten have those big-time games, and especially when they have multiples. They're going to suck all the oxygen out of the room. So you have to do what you can as you get into October and November to play games on a Thursday, on a Friday. Um, So I actually like it for a team like Louisville, especially going down to a place like Miami. And I believe they play Miami on Black Friday. Not ideal. They're going to have to spend Thanksgiving either traveling or in Miami. But Louisville does a lot of recruiting in Miami. That is a good thing for Louisville to be able to get down there. And you're probably not going to get a great crowd out of the Miami crew unless they're going to the ACC championship. So, so games like that, sometimes it does play in your favor because you get the exposure without necessarily the hostility on the other side.
2: Of the, the the teams that have the potential to sort of be like to carry kind of the, the, the flag for the conference, Florida State, Clemson, you know, Miami ought to be one of those uh, as well on, on a regular basis. Virginia Tech has been in the past. But a number of those are are down, and Clemson even down enough to where they did some things they don't normally do, including bringing out, uh, bringing in a, a total outsider, you know, to take over the offense, that sort of thing. Who do you think's having uh, the best or like the most interesting offseason that you're that you're kind of interested in seeing exactly how that plays out going back next year? Um,
3: I, Miami always gives you talking points, um, and I don't yeah. count the Ed Reed thing as a Miami talking point, but I think you kind of have to lump that in just a little bit because that was strange. Um, but the Josh Gattis firing, the timing of it was very interesting. The timing of the Jake Garcia decision to transfer it came late uh, in that portal window. Well, not surprising, but again, interesting. Honestly, Tyler Van Dyke's decision to come back, Interesting. And Miami yeah. generally, like the way Mario Cristobal is recruited is going to make them a young team, but also again, a, ver- a team that's going to, to to sort of surprise you at times. They're going to jump up and you're going to be like, oh, Miami's playing really well. But I think there could be some inconsistency as well. Uh, Virginia Tech, I have no idea. I think they're in too big a hole to really consider. I, I would say Clemson, the Garrett Riley hire is a fascinating one. And then also the fact that Wes Goodwin sort of changed their defense in the ACC championship game and in the bowl game to something that was more like what they ran with Isaiah Simmons came Wallace and Tanner Muse. That's, that's sort of a, it's not a defensive coordinator change, but it is a difference in philosophy from your defensive coordinator, which does make them a little more fascinating, particularly with how they're going to utilize some of those pieces. Now they lose enough on defense where I think they are vulnerable but Florida State, with what they've done in the portal, I just think there's storylines abound. And then you're going to have teams like an NC State getting Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I, sort of a departure from what Dave Doran has done in the past in terms of offensive philosophy. And that's a team that I think could be pretty good. They certainly will be good on defense. That front seven, front six, there's three, three, five. That front six is going to be excellent. Aiden White, maybe the best corner in the league. Um, in that secondary so I think there's enough storylines to go around going into next year
1: this guy's such a pro he just gave me the ultimate segue I was going to ask about so much movement with quarterbacks in this league just Hmm. give me some of your favorite destination spots and I was going to kind of point out the the reconnection with Robert and I and Armstrong there but I'll let you take it Uh, best connections with all of the movement in college uh, football across the ACC
3: yeah, man, the the, the N.I. Brennan Armstrong one is um, is certainly fascinating. Now, they're going to have to find weapons on the outside, but a guy like Trent Penix was a good weapon for them until he hurt his shoulder. I uh, think he's a that Robert and is going to use, but just that marriage, looking Brennan's book, which they didn't really let him do last year at Virginia, is going to be fascinating. I think the other one that we kind of forgot about a little bit is the Filder-Kovic move going from Boston College to reunite with Frank Cignetti Jr. I think a biggest part of the issue is with sort of pulling the trigger at times uh, when, throwing, uh, when throwing football, honestly, field on some of the intermediate routes that you have to hit in that pro style system under Frank Cignetti junior Filter Filder-Kovic's not going to do that. He is complaining he's going to be able to make plays with his legs and so that's one, too, that I think is fascinating. But there's some others. I mean, Haynes King at Georgia Tech. Nobody's going to talk about Georgia Tech. The schedule's tough. Um, but the defense was really good last year in the last five or six yeah, late, games. Yeah, for sure. Especially especially if you look at what they did against Carolina and even against Georgia. I mean, Georgia wasn't really all that interested. But they did provide some resistance. But Haynes King going there. like Haynes King was a really highly talented quarterback who had some moments at Texas A&M. So that's an interesting one, but but I think there's so many of them throughout the league, and there always are. I think there's so many of them, but those are the ones that kind of jump to the top of mind as ones that we could see immediate impact.
2: Roddy Jones, ACC Network and ESPN, man, thank you so much uh, for the time, as always, buddy. Look forward to talking to you again uh, throughout the summer, everybody. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, of course, guys. Appreciate having me on. Thanks, Roddy. All right,
2: Roddy Jones, good stuff uh, from him.
1: Great stuff, man. Great stuff. He is obviously in the know. Uh, a junkie. I loved hearing him call games, uh, especially with Wes Durham. They got a great connection. He's been, uh, he's been the man. I
2: really enjoyed getting to hang out with Roddy a little bit. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back. We'll open up the phones uh, here and put a bow on this one here on the drive on the, the bow. Right back. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition. And I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate.
0: Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com.
2: Welcome back to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis and Luke Hancock. Welcome back into the drive here on 939 Theville. Mark Ennis, Luke Hancock phone lines. They are open 8150, 939, 3831, 939 for the UPS Jobs text line. If you want to hit us up that way, welcome to do so. Uh, As well. Anything else from Roddy? uh, Jump out there. I always enjoy when we have Roddy on because he's obviously extremely smart and he's a junkie for the ACC like you and I are. But I do like that he reminds us that Georgia Tech really should be better than they are in football and that the ACC really could benefit from that being viable there uh, in Georgia Tech and being better than it has been lately. I hope that that happens. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Uh, And you can
1: imagine a Georgia Tech running back, former. Uh, is going to try and tout them up that they're going to be a little better but it is kind of wild how sometimes that that quick coaching change can you know motivate a team because they were you know the over under for Georgia Tech wins last season was three and a half and I would have taken the under hard and they fired a coach and ended up winning a couple games late and their defense picked it up so you know I, I agree with you it's a big market um uh, Georgia Tech needs to be better should be better uh the Paul Johnson day seemed like a long time ago. Man, it really does, doesn't it? It does. And, I, I mean, I really thought the coach that they brought in, having Sims coming back, that they were going to have a pretty solid year and then halfway through the season decide to let him go. And, you know, again, Georgia Tech's one of those teams that got a lot of resources, should be much better, and just kind of uh, – are they a sleeping giant in your eyes? No. Not that no, big. I, I,
2: yeah. I under, Like, because of their own – uh, uh, partly their, their own choices and just partly because of Georgia being such a behemoth, like right there. But, you know, I mean, Georgia Tech is a school school. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they they impose because of their own values. I'm, I'm not judging them at all, you know, but it is a more difficult challenge. And it's in particular, I think the challenge is, is difficult in a way that negates what ought to be, I think, some strengths with players everywhere. You know, but then Georgia Tech can't really get involved with every single one of those. But it still should be better than it is. And and I'm hopeful that it is a it is still a, a – it's a great program historically, Georgia Tech is, and it would be a big boost to the ACC to have a team in Atlanta, Georgia, that's, that's good to really good on kind of a regular basis. I think that would be a very big boost for the ACC overall. Certainly. Do you think the ACC is
1: going to – still be having those same conversations through this year. Like, Florida State's supposed to be much better. Miami, just Roddy talked about it. Got some interesting dynamics there. Uh, Clemson's going to be very good again. Um, You know, whether it's Pitt or a Louisville team, or, you know, they they just seem to be a little deeper across the league. You think the narrative's still going to be what it's been the last few years? And one last point, uh, just so the kids know, Wikipedia should not be counted as fact because I just looked up Roddy Jones. I was just going to check what number he was at Georgia Tech. It says he's a 78-year-old uh, British swimmer. And uh, on the wrong Roddy Jones Wikipedia page, man. Well, I've <laughs> seen the guy many times, and uh, that picture is the Roddy Jones we just talked to. And uh, if he's 78 years old, something in the water for that guy.
2: Yeah, that's a very, very different person.
1: Yes, yes it is.
2: Eighty-one fifty 93, 9. That's the number if you want. Well, I was,
1: uh, I was, uh, you got to hit the first point. I threw you off with that comment, but just the narrative overall with the ACC. I know you kind of alluded to that question with Roddy, but it seems a little deeper. It's not, you know, two years ago, certainly Clemson and a bunch of guys. I don't know if UNC is going to have as much hype as they have the last few years, but, you know, there's still a lot of quality and depth through the ACC, or at least more than we've seen, right?
2: There needs to be, and I think in particular, Luke, what needs to happen for the ACC is it needs to be fun football in environments that are are fun to have on TV. And the ACC, like the SEC is pretty lucky that basically, with the exception of what, Vanderbilt, that every one of those home crowds is 60,000 or so or more for the big games, and they... It is a it's compelling television more times than not. And the ACC doesn't have that, but the the schools that have the capacity for it, I mean they they really need those schools. Like I, to me, I know Pitt has been good, and I think Narduzzi's a great coach. But like there's almost nothing you can do to make that stadium feel like a crazy college home crowd to me. But Virginia Tech can. Georgia Tech can. Florida State can, Clemson can, and I I think Louisville can, uh, and they they need far more of those schools to do, and have way more of that to put on TV so people remember that was fun to watch. I want to watch that again. They need way more of that stuff to happen. Dope Campbell having a bunch of you know empty seats and, and things like like that. Crazy. They can't. Virginia Tech just being not worth watching. That was a place that people were petrified of, for for. Two decades, really. And it's not that now. And the ACC really can't stomach that either. I
1: totally agree. Grew up going to some of those uh, Virginia Tech atmospheres. And uh, absolutely incredible. Inter-Sandman everybody knows about. But a Thursday night in Lane Stadium is unlike any other place. Um, uh, I'll, I'll add one to Vandy. I don't think Missouri is bringing a, a massive crowd to any of their games either. Uh, but to your point, there. across the, totally right. across, totally right. across the ACC, though, you would expect – you know just the noise and the fan bases to you know have this year um, as really an opportunity to to get back out there and i don't know if it's you know post-covid effects that people are still just being a little standoffish i wouldn't think so but the depth of the league and having more marquee games and and more exciting games i think is just going to be great for football this year and it's it's awesome for louisville fans because you know you you, you have some lean years there and even though we, we I don't look at the Scott Satterfield era as, as incredibly negative like some fans do. Came in in a rough spot, left the program in a better place. But the hype and the buzz that's going on right now, I would think this atmosphere we're going to see this year is going to
2: rival what we saw with Lamar and his Heisman year. You know what I really want to happen, and, and this is a this did not happen with Scott. I miss and look forward to regaining... The, the, You know the, like the meme of Ben Affleck standing outside of his house and he's like exasperated and smoking a cigarette? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I miss other teams in the ACC having that reaction to Louisville on their schedule. We've had that at times. And I, I miss teams being like, not only are we probably gonna lose this game, but this is gonna be a miserable experience too. Like it's it's gonna hurt on the way down, yeah. so to speak. Like I, I miss that and I I have no doubts about Jeff Braun being able to recover a lot of that.
1: Oh, no question. I mean the atmosphere piece, like you know, the prodigal son returns. And so I, I just think people are gonna gravitate towards Louisville football. I think he's gonna he's gonna be able to bring so much excitement with his style, with the noise on the recruiting trail. Uh, I mean, I fully expect fans from the jump to be involved. And then you mentioned that Notre Dame game, and as you're looking through the schedule, you do start to say, "Well, what if these guys could start the season the right way, and they get to that game, and the hype is there, and Notre Dame just beat you know Ohio State, and then Duke, who Duke did have a great year last year." Um, uh, yeah. but you know, if Louisville's got one loss and Notre Dame's undefeated and they come home and Louisville gets that one done, you kind of just, you start to say, man, this is going to be how it is with Jeff Brom and you better watch out cause Louisville's no easy out. And that is incredibly exciting.
2: And, and that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I expect that, uh, national signing day uh, where they finish off for the most part, the class uh, tomorrow will go well for them. Uh, I think it would be another sort of feather in Jeff's cap if they flip uh, or if they you know, win this sort of head-to-head battle for uh, the Spencer kid, uh, this uh, alignment here locally, and, and perhaps maybe sign another guy or two. Uh, I have been incredibly encouraged by how well, in addition to wide receiver and addressing the quarterback room with a guy that's uh, very familiar with the system and that sort of thing, but the the way they have addressed both lines – has impressed me quite a bit. I was I, I had hoped that they would they would do well there, but to to hold on to to a couple of the highly rated guys, uh, this Crocker kid that was committed to Mississippi State for a while that just committed and still being in on perhaps another one or two of these guys like, it, they've done a great job with the lines, and that's always one of uh, the places where Louisville is always going to struggle I think to keep up with the bluest of the blue bloods is getting those offensive and defensive linemen, those front seven or offensive linemen guys, they're doing pretty good so far. And thats I didn't necessarily see that coming right away with Jeff Brown. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: I've always said this, like basketball, football, you, you have to be able to compete in the trenches. Obviously, rebounding the basketball, protecting the paint, but on the football side, you know, if you can't compete on the offensive and defensive line, you can't beat the big boys. It's not quite, you know, Nick Saban's murder ball where they were just so unbelievable with talent and depth but you still got to be competitive. You know, the teams aren't winning in spite of their quarterback anymore. You you need a line that's going to hold up, and you got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. So, you know, a big check plus. I'm I'm sure you would give him an A up to this point as well. Yeah. And um, you know, a texter in earlier said something about still looking for him to add some pieces. Is there a spot you want to see with a, a few? You know. Spots left, I guess, to add that you, you really want to see them attack a certain area, go get a guy for a certain area?
2: You know, I think that they would still really like one more tight end. Uh, and, and another inside linebacker, I think, would be, is still pretty pressing, especially with Monty Montgomery leaving. Uh, now, I know KJ Claude coming back is good, uh, but uh, you know, inside linebacker is literally the only position where I'm not sure they have what they need. I think in other places, like I think wide receiver, I don't know who shakes out has like the top three or four guys, but it's going to be competitive. Got, yeah, they've got seven or eight, and the question is who, not if. Middle linebacker is the only place where I look at it. And I'm like, it feels more if than who. I don't know who it is, and I'd like them uh, for some other guys perhaps to to emerge there. But there's plenty of time uh, between now and then. So that like for me, it's 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 inside linebacker. Everywhere else, I feel like they they've got pieces to work with. And whatever they settle on, or whatever they end up with, will be more than sufficient for what they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, and you know, with football and the portal and guys finding new spots, I mean, I would love to see them add something there as well—a little depth in the O line potentially. But I'm, I'm with you. A uh, inside linebacker seems to be uh, what the text line is agreeing with as well. And just uh, to point out a couple texts here about the. Uh, the environments Missouri home games look a lot like UK home games. Uh, somebody said, and then um, somebody else talked about the uh, Virginia football environment, which I've been to actually. Um, they said if you ever want to know uh, everything ASMR. about 401k sailboats, and rugby shirts, that's uh, what Virginia football is going to give you.
2: <laughs> Remember, we we studied Virginia earlier that they were um, they have a commerce major. Not economics, not business, commerce. I mean. So it's just um, very much in keeping with what Virginia is study, in our eyes. Study of money. Was, I like it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we did have a texter who asked, Are you, do I just not want to call Spencer Woo, Spencer? And the answer is yes. That's exactly right. One, I hate nicknames. You got to earn the uh, nicknames
1: with Mark This Is this not exactly, given? Earned, exactly. not given. With it's Mark like Innes.
2: when you when the freshmen have to wear those black stripes on their helmets at practice for like the first week or whatever, and they take them off one at a time. It's like that. But also, I feel stupid saying "woo." I just feel like I don't like how I feel or sound when I say it. So well, I don't, don't want say to call it like that. Woo. If you ever if it, adopt what I mean? it, yeah.
1: we need a little more enthusiasm with your – I need it to be like a Ric Flair type of. <laughs>
2: It's the least woo-sounding woo ever. <laughs> <Yes>. I agree. <laughs> oh, if that happens, you know V V's going to be on there. getting the Ric Flair drop in there for every time we well, mention yeah. his name.
1: As he should. As he should. As long as you earn the nickname. If you're out there just being a monster, let's do it every 30 seconds. I'm
2: in. Yeah, it, listen. If he earns it, I'll figure out a way to say <laughs> it in a way that works for everybody. There Trust you me. I, I will. Uh, but again, I, I think the excitement about Brom... I, I keep going back to just how beneficial it will be for Brom to show up with an old, mature quarterback who, even in the year where he wasn't playing for Jeff, was playing Power 5 football, uh, to, to come into Louisville, spring practice, be, el- be eligible to play, and for Louisville to start with a new coach, but a quarterback who already knows that new coach's entire system. It's going to make you've you've talked about the basketball team, Luke, and how part of the problem in these games is that they simply cannot create situations that that match what the games are like every single day. Jack Plummer is going to be able to throw like a guy who's played played years of games in this offense, and it's going to make every single spring practice rep better for everyone,
1: for including everyone. Pierce Clarkson. Yeah, that that's the key. You know, having a veteran that can show you how to practice, show you how to prepare, show you what, you know, things to avoid. I've always said that with you, Mark, over the years here. You know, with coaches, especially when you're in a new environment, it's as much learning about what not to do as it is about what to do. And having Jack in there, I mean that I think that's an unbelievable start for Pierce Clarkson. And in all reality, the best case scenario, he never plays. You know, Plummer never plays. Because Pierce Clarkson's that good and he just embraces that backup and leadership role but I I don't necessarily see that happening because the game speeds up so much I'm very impressed with Pierce Clarkson but I I think you're going to need Plummer quite a bit quite a bit and uh, also somebody somebody said uh, they're thinking a full full fullback and that might be a transfer from Wisconsin but the other question do they announce any additional transfers tomorrow just your thoughts Mark and I know we're putting you on the spot there
2: Uh, I don't know that you'll get transfers necessarily tomorrow, but if they do, I think it'll be guys that are maybe be off the radar and that will always be a thing. You know, the, I I think that every program, especially power five schools should be prepared for like, Oh, I've never heard of that guy before. Let me see what I can find out about him like that. That's, you know, these coaches are their lives and, and livelihoods, not lives, their livelihoods depend on, you know going above and beyond in terms of just finding guys that are out there. So if they signed, you know, or announced, you know, a transfer that we've never heard of tomorrow, it wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, But I, I think it'll be focused on just a handful of their, the signees that they're looking for out of high school tomorrow. But again, I can't, Jeff, I can't praise him enough for hitting the ground running like somebody who has has had a plan for this for like a really long time. And and like the minute he finally got the job, got in the door, got the keys, has just been like boom, 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 all the way down. You think like, yeah, he'll probably never admit this, but timing wise, just
1: didn't work out that first time around. I I just have to imagine in the back of his head, he was always like, I'm going to end up there eventually. I don't know if he's planning. I don't know if he's actually, you know, putting even that thoughts out in fruition, but in the back of his head, I think he's always
2: been like, you know, that's where I want to be. I think he he really felt like he had gotten a lot of guys to go to Purdue early in his career. That like they took a leap of faith on him and not really so much like Purdue. That, and that he didn't feel like it would have been fair to sort of just walk away from those guys so quickly. Uh, but that after a while, you know, you, you've done the job. You've done the work and he felt i think safe enough and wanted to make that move but i think early on it was just straight up guys made you know took a leap of faith on me at purdue when we weren't that great and purdue hadn't been that great and it's certainly not like a fun place to be and and he just didn't want to walk away from it uh, that quickly yeah but man where would we be if he had
1: oh i i i just can't imagine i think it all just worked out so perfectly from Yovel's coach leaving and getting a check for that as a university and then the way things have unfolded with Jeff you know again Ruben Owens was the guy out there that was kind of like uh that that was just a dream really I know he was committed but I I never really saw that coming to fruition same and and so when he left maybe a little disappointing but not a not a big wake at all from that and then again putting one foot in front of the other and just picking up all these pieces has been really impressive one of the guys uh, somebody just asked about I think bringing up the conversation about O-line D-line uh, Jermaine Lole, they said Lola uh, from ASU but uh, Jermaine have you heard I know he's still on the team
2: yeah but have I mean we, everything we heard I've heard is that he's anymore. coming back yeah. yeah everything I've heard is that he'll be back uh, and, and if so I mean there's gonna be a lot to work with up front even you know losing some really uh, uh, versatile pieces you know off of last year's team to have if Lola's back and and remotely healthy and Ashton Galati and yeah uh, Heron coming back in, and you got Popeye Williams with another year under the system and stuff mm. like that. There's going to be plenty of, uh, I think, talented guys, and it will be really interesting to see how does the system defensively maybe morph a little bit to fit those guys and what maybe Louisville has because I think they're going to be in the front seven, outside linebacker and defensive line. They're going to be really, there's going to be a lot of options and a lot of versatility there, and I think that they're going to probably feel free to to perhaps be a little bit aggressive uh, and and make up for whatever they might be missing in terms of like run defense and inside and that sort of thing. I I'm really excited to see what they how they opt to do this whole thing because I think there's they got a lot to work with.
1: I think so too and I think in particular he's a guy, you know, got injured, didn't play last year, a, a guy who they talked about being a little heavier, you know, still needing to get in shape. If he grinds it out From the moment he's really able to go, you know, when you have it's just like a redshirt year from 100 years ago when you had to do those things when you transferred. Nobody knows about that anymore, but, you know, I do. Uh, If you take that year and you work on yourself as an individual and you don't have to concern yourself near as much with what the team is doing and making the team better, I mean, it can be absolutely incredible for guys. And I think about somebody who has to transform their body a little bit, even though this guy was all Pac-12. I mean, he was a an absolute stud at Arizona state. Like he's a guy, I mean, he could be a a first round draft pick potentially. Now I know that's a little crazy because he hasn't put up any numbers here and he's been injured for a long time, but the potential is there
2: certainly. Yeah. And I think we can say that ultimately Luke about several positions on the field. I'm, I don't know who emerges, but like, I'm elated about what wide receiver is going to look like, even with Braden Smith leaving. Like, I think they've got a lot to work with there. uh, And I have, infinite amounts of faith in the offensive scheming of Jeff Brom, Brian Brom, Garrick McGee, and the deployment of wide receivers based on how they did as a head coach and a and a staff at Western Kentucky and at Purdue both. There's no reason in the world to think that wide receiver won't be downright dangerous for Louisville next year. We just don't know who it's going to be.
1: I just love the competition aspect. I think it's better yeah. this way. Um, you got a lot of new pieces going in, so guys are going to feel like, hey, I need to – I need to make my mark. I need to spend time with this guy, these quarterbacks. I need to develop a connection with them. I need the extra hours after practice, you know, cuz when you walk in with a new coach, the beauty of it is, it, you know, every position is up for grabs. So when you have a, a yeah. room that's loaded up like the wide receiver room, I mean, that can be a beautiful thing.
2: All right. Good stuff uh, today from all of you. Really really did uh, enjoy this. Luke's good to have you back here. You've been listening to the Drive on the Ville. See. Ya. Woo!